Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Good morning. So welcome back to Devotions as we get ready to read Revelations. I think tomorrow we'll actually start to dive properly into the text. Um, But just a few more things to introduce and set up. Um, Two big ideas that must be um, held if we're going to make sense of the book of Revelation. First of all, it's a pastoral book. It's written by a bishop to his people. Um, The bishop has watched his people suffer terribly. He's been exiled. He can't visit them anymore. He needs to encourage them. His name is John, and he has pastoral responsibility for a region of churches in what is now Western Turkey. Um, He's a trans-local leader. He has, you know, elders who work under him, if you want to use an org chart sort of a structure for it. And um, he has to speak seriously to a bunch of Christian churches that are under, at this stage, terrifying persecution and try to encourage them to go on with Christ and to get on with life. He's in exile on Patmos, an island off the coast of Turkey. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 9, this is because of his preaching ministry. 1, verse 10, he says, I've suffered for the faith. I've learned to endure trials. So Revelations, apart from anything else, is a pastoral letter to the churches in John's care. That's outlined in in chapter 1. He says that. He loves these people. He knows their names and situations. He wants to build them up in a time of dreadful suffering. Now, his message is absolutely not the message that a lot of people see in the book of Revelations today. The message that we fear we're going to hear when we read the book of Revelations is, watch out, be afraid, the world is about to fall apart, get ready for cataclysms and terror, it's going to be horrible, be afraid, be very afraid. That is absolutely the opposite. It's 180 degrees away from John's intention. So I'm going to give you sort of a a real quick summary of the import of the book of Revelation. We need to know where this thing is going to be able to understand the steps along the way. The message goes more like this. I know that your world has already completely fallen apart. I know that cataclysms rock you and fear grips you. I know you can't get government jobs. I know your women are raped. Your people are tortured. Your leaders who can't be killed easily are exiled. I know that your houses are at risk. I know that you don't know where the next meal is coming from. I know all of this. But in the middle of your current troubles that are already upon you, I can still see Jesus. And in my troubles too, remember, I share this with you. I'm I'm in trouble too. But I see Jesus seated at the throne of God. I see a new heaven and a new earth. I can see the book of life. And guess what? Your names are written in it. I can see how important it is that we keep our love warm and, and endure 
I can see where this is all going for you. Streets of gold in the presence of God. I, I can actually see your dead friends and families, those who have been martyred, tortured to death. I see them in heaven. They occupy a place closer to the throne of God than even the elders of heaven. I can see help and spiritual resource coming from that world to us right now. Come on, church. We can still do this. The devil, even though he looks pretty good right now, is a loser. This regime that does this to you will fall. Jesus is coming. You are still more than conquerors. The victory that overcomes the world is your faith. Take an eternal perspective. Live well. Stand up. Man up. We can do this. Now that is what the book of Revelation was supposed to say to people. So anything less than or different to that was simply not in John's mind as he wrote it. And first question for, for biblical interpretation, what do we think the guy who wrote it want to say? What was he actually trying to communicate? That's the stuff John is immediately trying to communicate. So when we come up with stuff that is the opposite of that, we're wrong. Okay, pure and simple, we're wrong. So let's always remember this written this book was written like prophecy. Now I'm saying it's apocalyptic, not prophecy. I'm gonna soften that in a moment. But it was written to edify, encourage, and exhort a very broken group of people in a desperate situation. Um, as we go through, we're gonna realize how desperate the situation was and how much encouragement those people would draw from these visions. So always remember, it's a pastoral letter to a group of people already in a dire situation. It's not about, oh, it's going to get terrible. It's about, we know it's terrible, but Jesus is still Lord. Look up, rejoice, take courage. So that's really critical. Second thing I want to share with you this morning is, even though it's apocalyptic, and I said yesterday, you know, prophecy, if you, then God, apocalyptic, no if, it's lost. We, you know, God has to do something. There are still similarities to prophetic literature in this. Now, I want to just show you how prophecy works using Isaiah. Prophecy always has several levels of meaning. Now, chapter 7 of Isaiah, Ahaz comes to the prophet and says, how long is my siege going to last, mate? Now, Isaiah then opens his mouth and drops what we read every Christmas. Oh, a virgin shall conceive and she shall call her child Emmanuel. And woohoo, you know. Now, if I was Ahaz, I'd want to, I want to rip his arms out and belt him around the head with a soggy end. I mean, you're what? I'm asking you how long the siege is going to last and you're giving me prophecy about something 800 years away? What? You know, you'd be very upset. What's happening is, Isaiah, how long is my my siege? Is this siege going to last? About nine months, give or take. Nine months from now, young women who are pregnant will be giving their children names like God has delivered us, God is with us, God has saved us. So about nine months, Kingsy, that's where we're at. That's the first level of that prophetic word. Clearly, it's got this deeper, more powerful, rich, nuanced meaning that the one who is going to deliver us 
not from the Assyrian army, but from our sins and from the grip of the devil is also coming and he will be named God is with us and we will be saved uh, at the time he appears. So two levels of meaning, right? The immediate, sensible, practical thing, the deeper look at the purposes of God. Now, Isaiah is really good at this. Um, chapter 53 and, and those servant songs in Isaiah. The prophet, I believe, is talking about how Israel must live as the servant of the Lord in its time. But you read it and you think, this guy, he had a crystal ball. He was looking at the cross. He's describing it. And, and Jesus becomes the, the truest incarnation of Israel in its mission to be a light to the nations. And so again, two levels of meaning. What Isaiah meant in his day, what God meant as a deeper, you know, all-time thing. So that's what prophecy is. Always look for several levels. Now, Revelation is exactly the same. Let's first of all do the real work and let's work out what John was saying to his people at the time, because that's really important. And that's the first level. That's the first level. And it's in that level is where the keys to everything else is. But now every generation has seen regimes that are a manifestation of what John calls the whore. And every time Christians face one, they can take guidance from um, the book of Revelations. If they understand what it's talking about, it gives tremendous resource. So it had a message for Turkey in the first century. It has a message pretty much any time we face a whore regime. But then, I believe, at the end of the age, which, uh, like I said on Sunday, I don't begin to understand what it'll look like, but I know it's coming, we will see these prophecies in the book of Revelation fulfilled in a way that right now, well, when, we, when someone sees it, it's going to defeat our understandings, our imaginations, our theologies. It's going to be huge, but it's going to be spectacularly obvious. Yeah, that's what that is. So these three levels what it meant in the first century, what it means as, as principles for history, and what it will mean at the end of all things. Now, which one of those is more important? Start in order, you know, start at the beginning. But they're all true. They're all true. And we are very wise to stay humble before this and, and not go straight to, well, what's going to happen at the end? Let's do the other work as well. And that will give us a way to look to the cataclysms that are around us now, you know, the, the biologists tell us we're living in an extinction event. So many species are dying out. You know, they're seeing potentially the end of the world. You know, we've still got enough nuclear weapons to destroy ourselves. You know, the end of the world is a thing. It, it could happen. Well, this book encourages us that should we be the generation to see that, Jesus is Lord, the end is good, just endure. So there's three levels. Look for them all. Well, look, that's enough for the morning. Uh, tomorrow we're going to get started. I'm going to paint the story from pretty much the, uh, the death of Paul through to the writing of this book because it's in that history that this book has its context and, and it actually the book actually tells the story of that 30 or 40 years um, in Chapter 17. So we're going to get in tomorrow. We'll start and, and start looking at how this story evolves. That's enough by way of introduction. Tomorrow, we'll open Revelations. Um, for now, let's pray. And Father, this morning, what I want to do is to say thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the, the way it is so unlike any other book. Thank you, Lord, for the way that there are layers of meaning and layers of understanding. And in every generation, there is a way that we can engage with the Bible that makes sense for us, that makes sense of our world, that exposes sin, the ways of power. It exposes the need for good character, humility, patience, kindness and love. So, Father, thank you. I want to pray for one another today that you will make us more biblical. Father, better friends with the Bible. Father, that some of us will be inspired to do tertiary study and to really get down to tin tacks with this thing. But Father, apart from the study of it, I want to thank you for the inspiration in just the way that you speak to us through your word. How it is that, you know, we'll be following a, a standard devotional from someone else and that passage just lights up for us for that day. It's our peace. It's relevant. Something happens in the day and we need that. Father, that's a, that's a mystery and a miracle and we're grateful for it. So Lord, thank you for the means of grace that is the Bible. Father, help us to, to find the new covenant truth that is not what we know about the Bible. It's, it's what's written in our hearts. It's what becomes second nature to us. It's what will happen when we're under pressure, when we're tempted, when we're afraid, when we're depressed, when we're lonely, when we're frustrated, when we're flogged out. That what comes out will be solid, sound, biblical reality and lifestyle. So Lord, with that rather deep prayer for one another, we go out into today with its many adventures. Father, Help us. Take us on the journey. And at the end of it, give us cause to be thankful to you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks. I'll see you in the morning. If you want to read ahead, read chapter 17. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.